Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Here we are. It's Advent. It's so sparkly and light and fun. Um, and there's a lot to learn and a lot to talk about in Advent. So what Advent means if you're new to church world, Advent means arrival or coming. And in this season of Advent, the church calendar pauses to celebrate the coming of Jesus in the past. This moment when God uh, entered into humanity and God's self became this infant Jesus uh, born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. And it also, it, she, the church, also celebrates that the current coming or advent of Christ is present with us still through the church, through the community, while we wait for the coming advent when Christ will return and all the fullness of the promises that we've heard will come to their fullest fruition. So we celebrate the coming of past and we sit in the tension of longing for future advent yet to come. And so that's what this whole season is about. This year we decided to approach these five weeks of advent um, a little differently for us at least. And we're looking at the past advent, the moment of the birth of Christ through the vantage point, through the eyes of different people in this story. So we're going to talk this week about Zechariah. We're going to talk next week about Elizabeth. Then we'll talk about Mary and Joseph. We'll talk about the angels and the shepherds. And then the fifth week of Advent is actually Christmas Day. And so we will not have service Christmas morning. I have a hunch not anybody would come. So we're going to do Christmas Eve in the afternoon. That's going to be our fifth week Advent when we're going to look at the birth story and then at Anna and Simeon, the prophets who see the baby Jesus. So we're going to take the same story, but enter in and allow ourselves to kind of get drawn into these different people who are experiencing past Advent, a really, really big deal moment. And here's where I have to confess to you. If you were here last week, I told you this is our last week in the book of Luke, and I lied, but I didn't mean to because it was an accident. I, we finished our series in Luke, but guess where we're going this morning because Luke talks a lot about these different vantage points. So I'm sorry I lied, but I didn't mean to. It was an accidental lie, but it totally was a lie. We're back in Luke, and we're going to look at this. And I love this. If you look at this big deal moment of past Advent, the actual birth of baby Jesus, right? Where does this take place? It takes place in this, this sort of nowhere space, in the middle of this town. But it's this huge deal moment, right? And Luke approaches it in this way by bringing in all these characters and showing other stories first, not just diving straight to that moment. He gives us this momentum. So we back up from the biggest deal main event, baby Jesus, right? And we back up and we hear about Mary and Joseph. And we back up and hear about Elizabeth and Zechariah. And this backing up actually provides huge huge forward momentum to the main event, but it backs us all the way up away from this arbitrary place with a baby in a manger born of unknown young people, right? It backs us all the way up to the holy temple of God. And so in that place, we see this momentum forward start to build towards the main event, but we've backed up and we meet Zechariah. And that's where we're going to start as we start to feel this momentum towards the main event. What do we learn right away when we learn about Zechariah in this, um, this passage in Luke? So right away, we know that um, he is a priest. His wife is 
also from a priestly line. So they both come from a long lineage of an important role in the people of God's uh, life together. They were both from priestly lines. And we also know that they, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, does this mean that they were perfect? No, of course not. Nobody's perfect. But it means that they had that um, faithfulness to the way of God. They had knowledge of the way of God, and they were faithful to the way of God. They were faithful people. What else we learn right away is that they were childless because Elizabeth was barren and they were both very old. These are the nuggets of facts that we go on. Now, if you were here last week, you remember we talked a little bit about Passover, right? And how the symbols in that repeated meal, that tactile action, formative action of partaking in the elements of that meal, the symbolism rich there, it, it lit things up in a cultural imagination. You could know things from hints of symbol in your, your cultural imagination as the people of God, right? We talked about that a bit last week. I was listening, um, the Bible Project has a great new podcast out, by the way, um, going through the Old Testament, and they call these hyperlinks, and I love that. That's like more of our language, right? So you're reading a news article, and if it says, you know, today in the war in Ukraine, and it'll hyperlink the war in Ukraine so you can like jet set back to a whole bunch more information, but you know it's a hyperlink. There's a whole lot more, but your, your knowledge is peaked saying this little word has tons more to say about it, and I can see that quickly with certain things in the Bible. Okay, who do we have? We have somebody who's righteous in God's sight, who's unable to have children, and who's very old. That is like three major hyperlinks right away to Old Testament. As the people of God reading Luke's uh, account of the life of Jesus, you right away would be like, I know this plot line. I got it. This is full of plot lines. Interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, the holy scriptures of the people of God in the Old Testament, this covenant was made right through Abraham that through your uh, family lineage, I will bless all the nations, right? You will be a blessing to them. And interestingly, the matriarchs, the women married into that line where that patriarch promise was going to come through, right? Three of them were barren or struggled with infertility. And yet we learn in the Old Testament scriptures that it was God who was able to bring forth life in these infertile women. Additionally, the birth of Samson from uh, Judges 13. Oh, sorry, the women, I mean to name them. Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel all experienced infertility, yet went on to have children that became the continued line of God's covenant faithfulness. Also, the birth of Samson is foretold in Judges 13, and uh, Hannah's uh, birth of Samuel in 1 Samuel 1. All of these were the same plot line, and we hear whispers of this. But to my ear, the combination of hyperlinks, the barrenness, the righteousness, and the oldness really link me back to Sarah and Abraham, right? Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness, Genesis 15, 6. So here's who I'm seeing right away as somebody who knows the story of God. And verses 6 and 7 echo all of that, righteousness, uh, barrenness, and oldness. So I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but notice right away that we have clues that say a lot more in these words and we're meant to immediately take those other stories into this story with us. Okay, so verses eight through 10, we hear that Zechariah is serving his, um, 
his turn in the temple. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, so this is how this works. You would go on rotation. See, he didn't live in Jerusalem. This is where the temple is. There's the holiest of holies. Only the high priest went in there once a year. This is the room next to that. And what would happen is you would come from your town if you were a priest and twice a year you'd serve a one-week shift in the temple. And from the people serving their shift, they would cast lots and one person would be chosen to go in and burn the incense according to Exodus 30 uh, verses 7 through 8. So we know Aaron did this, other priests did this following the example of Aaron. Again, all of these things, we have cultural depth coming up. This was a very high honor, you guys. Maybe once in your lifetime, if you're lucky, you get this honor and it's Zachariah's turn. So imagine that. You would be, if you're in Zachariah's shoes, which we're doing right now, you're going to serve this function. You're in your priestly um, mode, right? You're going to the sacred, holy place. You got the honor of being picked to go burn the incense. So you are in all of the mindset that this is a place of honor, holiness. This is such a special, sacred time. And he's in that mindset where he goes in. He's probably nervous. He's probably feeling excited, but a little nervous too. He knows people are waiting outside for him and praying over this moment. This is a moment covered in prayer and expectation, right? You're encountering the place where the presence of God dwells at this point in the history of God, right? You're going into it, how reverent you would be feeling. And God focused in that moment that all of your thoughts would be on this task before you, this holy task. And the angel appears as everybody's outside praying. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. So I think that this is common. And I'm just, I'll be on, like I'm made of questions when this comes up. If you're encountered by a prophet, a prophet is somebody who is a human. The spirit of the Lord has come upon them and they are given a message to share with somebody else. You're not afraid. You just are discerning whether or not you think that that message is true, Right. An angel, something altogether different happens because all the time in scripture, when somebody encounters an angel of the Lord, they are afraid. What, what did it look like? What's different? They know it's not just a prophet person. They're like, oh, you startled me. I didn't expect to see you here, Bob. Like, no, it's something altogether different because you know uh, something is is holy, sacred, scary, a different form, radiant with light? Like, I don't know. I wish I knew. The gospel writers didn't care that I was so curious. They don't tell us what the difference is, but there's something altogether different, you guys. We see this pattern all the time because the first thing angels seem to need to say to the humans that they have been sent to talk to is don't be afraid. It's the first thing. Now, have you guys ever been really freaked out and someone says, just calm down? Like, that does not help at all, actually, right? But there's something in this because it seems to work. Every time in Scripture, this pattern is the same. The person encounters an angel and is afraid. The angel says, do not be afraid. And an actual calm takes over because a conversation ensues. Something happens, and we know that we're in the moment of sacred holiness in some way. It works. And so the angel goes on and he says, you're going to have a baby. And this, with all of our hyperlinks, would be full of Old Testament promise, right? Because we know that 
a couple of the, here, hyperlinks again. The angel says, he'll have spirit. The Holy Spirit will be with this baby, even in the womb, and the, uh, have the power of Elijah, a very well-known prophet. Well, in Malachi, remember, you're Zechariah today. You are a priest. You know these holy scriptures. You know these promises. You've clung to them your whole life. Malachi 4, 5 to 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. What is this promise saying? Before the day of the Lord, there will be somebody who says it's coming, and he will be full of the Spirit, and he's being referenced as the prophet Elisha. So this angel is saying, this is what's happening. And he'll prepare the people for the Lord, like in Malachi 3.1. I will send a messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire, desire will come, says the Lord. So there's whispers of before the day that we always talk about, right? The Messiah will come. There will be one to say, get ready, prepare the way. And you're going to name him John, which just for the record, uh, God has shown favor is what that name means. It's not a family name. It's, it's saying John. John means God has shown favor. And so Zechariah hears all this chock full of hyperlinks, right? And what does he say? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am old and my wife is well along in years. I feel like it's a little bit interesting. He was just afraid of this angel. He's come to find peace and he's daring to doubt his words. Like that feels a little audacious to me. I'm not judging him. I, I don't judge it. I just feel like the first thing out of his mouth to doubt because the angel, how does the angel respond to this? It sounds to me a little bit, I'm not like, again, I don't mean to judge, but the angel seems to be a little bit like, are you kidding we're in the holy temple. I'm clearly an angel. I just spoke words of promise and you're saying, what? Are you kidding? He doesn't say it quite like that, but I kind of hear that tone. He says, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. That's the piece I hear. Are you kidding? I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Like, come on, look at everything that's happening. And so he gives him the sign that he wants, right? He says, okay. I'm going to give you a sign to help you believe. You're unable to speak until the baby boy, John, is born, which does in fact happen. And so I'm going to skip ahead, but I'm not going to steal Kelly's preaching next week on Elizabeth, and I don't want to take Elizabeth's part of the story. But we do know that when John is born, it is Elizabeth who says this is what his name will be. They're doing the circumcision, and uh, John still can't, uh, sorry, Zechariah still can't talk at this point. She says his name is going to be John, which by the way means that in some way, Zechariah has shared all of this promise in some way with, with Elizabeth along the way. He's able to get her to know the fullness of what's going on maybe they've written it out or something but because she knows we're supposed to name this baby John and then the people are like what are you talking about that's not a family name and it's when Zachariah says his name is John he writes it and his mouth is opened up he's able to speak once he has owned this promise and indeed the sign is lifted of his muteness muteness so anyway um that is when his mouth is open and he goes immediately with that open mouth into the most beautiful song of 
praise. Jen and I were up in the prayer room, the 9 a.m. prayer room. You guys are always welcome. It's up there. It's such a beautiful, peaceful space. And we were just praying into this song of praise of Zacharias this morning and just hearing this, um, this language that he uses that says, like, you're doing all these things you promise. And what we know in there right away is, you guys, Zachariah knows the promise that's being fulfilled. He knows all of it. And so as I'm sitting in this familiar story and I'm looking at this big deal event of the birth of Jesus, this is a a forerunner of the promise. One of the signs is that that one would come before the big deal, right? That's John. And so as we're sitting here and looking this through the eyes of Zechariah, there were two things that stood out to me this week. And I just share those with you this morning as, as sort of like our reflection on a familiar old story. Uh, during this season of Advent, by the way, we sort of shorten our sermons a bit to have more room for the other elements and more worship in our series. So I'm going to get to two points that I just want to share with you. Number one, does it nag you a little bit? Like, how come Zechariah gets this punishment from the angel? And a couple verses later, Mary has a question and she doesn't get a punishment. I have a theory. I bet you're surprised. I'm going to share it with you too. But anyway, when, um, when the angel comes to uh, Mary, it's a similar sequence, right? She's very startled and troubled is the word for her. The angel says, don't be afraid. This is familiar, right? This is how it goes. It works. She, he tells her what's going to happen. And she says, how can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. So I sat with that a little bit. Here's the thing I have to tell you. I can't prove any of this. They don't tell me. This is why you should never like fight over text, right? You can't read tone. We don't know why it is in writing that there's a difference in response. But I have one thought that came to mind. Well, actually, this isn't my landing thought. Like maybe, maybe it's because he's a priest in the holy temple seeking after God And he knows the scripture for his whole old life. And Mary's this young girl who's like walking in a field in this little of nowhere town. Like maybe the expectation was different. And that the question was therefore not as tolerated. Maybe. But I hear something different in their two questions. Both of them in their questions. Okay, let me read them again. Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And Zechariah says, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Both of them present the challenge. We know how babies usually come about. One of us is menopausal and past, and the other one hasn't done the thing that helps babies to come about. And so how will this happen? Both of them have that question. And in my eyes, as I was sitting with the two ways, Zachariah says, how can I believe you? And Mary's tone, to me, sounds more like, how will this come to pass? Let me know the plan. I am your faithful servant. How will this be? The normal way isn't going to work, so just tell me the plan. It doesn't have the tone to me of disbelief. It asks, how are we going to do this? Is it going to be Joseph? Is there somebody else? Am I supposed to go? You know, like, well, I don't know. Tell me what's up. There's curiosity. Zechariah is doubt. It's just doubt. How can I be sure? I know I'm in a temple. I know I'm a priest. I know I'm seeking after God. I know you're an angel of the Lord standing gloriously before me, saying the promises that I've been longing for for my entire life, but how can I be sure? It's just doubt, and that's okay. But the angel seems to say, like, I'll give you a sign because apparently the pregnancy of your wife isn't going to be enough. I'll give you a sign that every single day from now until when it comes to fulfillment, You remember so that you have something tangible to help you believe in what I'm saying. 
And so I just think that their tone, again, I can't prove that their tone is different, but I think that their approach is different. So I lost my place because I just stopped looking at my notes, which is fine. So he needs a personal assurance, right? How can I be sure the pregnancy isn't enough? And we'll hear Elizabeth's response next week, but for Zachariah's part, he's doubting the validity and he wants help to believe. But I think that I feel like that's okay and it's almost honored. But we'll get back to that in a second. So in case it just ever made you scratch your head, they both asked, but Zachariah seems to get in a lot more trouble. That's my theory, my working theory. But here's the other thing that I was really dwelling on a lot this week as I was looking at Zachariah's song. You guys, he knows all the promises. He's been acting his whole life as a priest. He's faithful. He not only knows the promises, but he's holding hope for them or he wouldn't still be doing this job. I wouldn't think. He still is actively pursuing. He has hope. His actions in the temple show it. He's still going. He's burning incense. His immediate song and response, it's ripe with hope, hope being fulfilled. He has all of this hope in the promises of God, hope in the word of God, hope in the character of God, and his first response is still doubt. Does it make him a bad guy? No. It's actually really reassuring to me as a human that that could still be the way that that we live out our hope, right? It still, it still comes. These tensions are there. And that's what I was finding myself feeling a lot this week. Because that's what Advent is, right? Yes, it's waiting or arrival, excuse me. But we're waiting in between Advents. And in that place, there is tension, you guys. There's the tension that things aren't the way they're supposed to be yet, and we feel it. All of creation groans, right, with longing. We feel the ways that it's not yet complete, but we know that promises have been fulfilled, and there's more to come, and it's okay to feel conflicting emotions and tensions in between our advents. And that's where we are this week it was for Zechariah, right? It was holding hope, which he still held, and feeling doubt. Hope and doubt. They existed together in Zechariah. The um, uh, early, well, not early church, but anyway, uh, John Calvin uh, pointed out about Zechariah that it must have been a great relief to find out that the faithfulness of God is not made of no account. So in other words, it's not undone. The faithfulness of God is not undone by his shortcoming, Zechariah's shortcoming, but indeed falls out all the greater at last. It happens sometimes that the Lord offers and fulfills what he has promised to the unbelieving in spite of their resistance. Isn't God so good? Like in spite of the resistance, that doesn't undo me from fulfilling my promise. The reason I bring this up is I hear a lot of people who want to follow Christ, who love Christ, and they experience doubt, and they think that that excludes them from being a person of faith. And I just don't believe that that's true. I think that seasons and areas of doubt or struggle are okay. They can be worked through I don't think that you have to go away to work out doubt. Does that make sense? Like, I remember um, 
one of my favorite guys in the New Testament encounters with Jesus. You know, all these amazing, miraculous encounters with Jesus. One of the ones who comes up, he brings his boy. His boy is suffering. The disciples can't fix it. And Jesus says, like, how long will I be with this unbelieving generation? And the boy says, I, I'm sorry, the man says about healing his son, Mark 9, 24. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief in one breath. And I love that. Because it reminds us, just like Zechariah does, that these things can be together and that's okay. I once read an article about a pastor and he, I, he wasn't trying to be light of it, but he was just saying, he was noticing that people were like, I'm struggling with doubt. I just need to go away and figure some things out. And he was talking to somebody and he's like, we can keep talking about it. I'm absolutely here to talk about the doubt. You're still coming to the potluck and bringing the casserole, right? Like, don't think you're going away because you have this very human experience. And I don't think he was trying to use him for his casserole. I think it was the reminder you don't need to go to be a person of faith who struggles sometimes with doubt look at Zechariah look at that dad I believe help my unbelief we don't have to worry with those tensions in fact I think Advent is a season for us to allow us to name the tensions and be honest about them this week personally for me I'm just going to share what my tension was and then we can be willing to respond in faith on the own our own tensions that we feel sometimes this week you guys I had the most delightful week our cabinets were overflowing with food my parents came in town our kitchen's done I have a sink for the first time in two months I was so happy it's really pretty she'd come over for tea um I love the kitchen. My parents were there. Uh, our kids were home. Gigi came home from school. I was laughing at to Barb. She lives 20 minutes away, and I can't tell you how happy I was that she was home for five consecutive days, right? But Forrest had the whole week off. Like I was, every bit of me was in full nesting delight. This week was wonderful. But every morning in my quiet time, I do flip through some news articles just to know what's going on in the world. And it's like, how can I feel this way? I have such easy gratitude this week. The joy, gratitude, praise to God, and then seeing what's coming up for this winter of people in Ukraine. Or these folks in Kenya, they're in so much trouble with this drought going on. Or the gun violence, these families who are going to their Thanksgiving tables with missing people because of this violence, the shootings, the accidents, you guys know it, you see the news too. And I would sit there and be like, I'm so happy and I wanna cry and I did cry. And how can, and then I can feel guilty. Like I can't feel this good, it's not fair. But this part of Advent, it's all about carrying our tensions and not losing, holding hope, despite the fact that some stuff still stinks on the side of promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And so what I mean to tell you here, you guys, is that when you feel tensions, hope and doubt, joy and grief, anger, righteous indignation on injustice, and happiness in your heart, like these things feel like they shouldn't go together, but welcome to Advent. Welcome to waiting. Welcome to the in-between. God, as we transition in this space and continue in worship, um, help us to be brave and, and strong enough to name the tension. Sometimes I confess I want to avoid them. I want to not look at the, the, the uglier one in the duo, right? The one that feels uncomfortable. Um, but God, I, I believe through your Holy Spirit, we are strong enough to name and know the tensions and just to say, come Lord Jesus, 
know that we can hold the hope of what is still to come, but help us to be faithful in our waiting and in the tensions that we name today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.